Hello, and welcome to the Canadian Story, where we discuss what Canada is, what Canada could be, and what Canada should be. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to The Canadian Story. Today, we are joined for the second time by Dr. Laura Braden. And uh, Dr. Braden, before you brief your background, I want to extend the warmest congratulations from The Canadian Story because you are, of the 151 published episodes that we have, you are one of three that have been removed from YouTube. So you must be interesting. Amazing! <laughs> oh man, I'm gonna. Have to we, we've almost been uh, removed from YouTube for life because of you and Dr. McCullough. So. <laughs> and listen, and fun fact: we're listen. interviewing both you and Dr. McCullough today. So we just can't get it. Yeah. No, you're not. Yeah, we are. Oh <laughs> my gosh! Well, first of all, if I'm in any association with Dr. McCullough, I consider myself um, honored and privileged because that man is. Uh, goddamn hero yeah <laughs> you know absolutely what I'm absolutely um and you know he's right over the target i'm so happy that you're introducing or you're talking to him and please give my warmest regards oh well, of course and if yes. you'd like i'd be happy to connect you um he's always as as far as i can tell he's always interested in people who are interested in the sorts of things that we are <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes so um yes. Yeah. Congratulations on your you, Thank you. on your uh, <laughs> on your removal from YouTube. But Dr. Braden, who are you? What are you about? What's your background um, for the people who haven't listened to the first episode okay. with you? Great. Well, and I mean, first, if you haven't, please go listen because it was a great conversation. I had a wonderful time. So thank you again for inviting me back. Um, and nice to meet you again, David. Um, so yeah, my name is uh, Dr. Laura Marie Braden. I am. I have a doctorate in molecular biology and immunology um, and um, coming up on in December of last year, I was terminated from my job um, because I was um, pretty outspoken and questioning um, the mandates and the policies that we were seeing being rolled out. Um, and since that time, I've been effectively canceled for my career um, and uh you know, there's been, you see this cancellation kind of attack on a lot of people that are even just asking questions. And I didn't say anything other than what we're all seeing now in the mainstream. Finally, you know, things like COVID is just a really bad flu. That, that was what got me fired. Um, and now they're admitting it and mentioning silly little things like how there's curative early treatments, like ivermectin is one of those things. So anyways, um, that's what I did. Um, and I wouldn't take it back for one hot second because, um, I can look at my children in the face and, and know that I did everything possible to protect them and their futures and, um, and using discernment as an adult. And, you know, you don't need to be a scientist to ask the right questions. There's lots of people asking these questions and good for them for not being um, coerced against their will to inject themselves with something that there is no data safety or efficacy on. So good for them. So what do I do now? Well, I'm, I'm, living off the land, man. We're farming. Um, I'm homeschooling my kids right now. I'm running for the local school board. I'm getting involved in grassroots movements. Um, I was privileged and honored to be a part of the James Top Canada Marches movement, walked with him for some, like marched with him for some kilometers, which is amazing. And just being involved with taking back our freedoms and getting involved as many ways as I can, because at this level is where the change is made. So that's basically me in a nutshell. So let's let's go into more detail about this uh, cancellation because the Canadian story is all about telling the individual stories of Canadians that then shows us the picture of what it's like to be Canadian. And of course, Zach and I are of the opinion that part of what it means to be Canadian is not being pushed around. You're a great example of that. 
the truckers are a great example of that. Uh, Top is Mr. Top is a great example of that. People standing up. I've met tens of thousands of them now this year in, in my work. I'm sure you've met um, almost the same amount, but still they're taking your career away from you. Yeah. Still they're trying to cancel you, despite the fact that, as you just pointed out, the mainstream media is now admitting the very things you were saying. That hasn't changed anything. So let's go into the details of what's going on for those who don't know. Well, why is the medical establishment still capable of doing this? I mean, that's like a lot to unpack, David. I think um, we're able to, they are able to get away with it in Canada because we're really slow back, you know, in this country. I feel like the apathy was so entrenched in everything that we're just that we're just behind in a lot of ways. And so they're still able to get away with it. You know, we look across the globe and how many different countries um, and jurisdictions are saying, actually, guys, hold on. Like Denmark, no, no, no. If you're under 50, you don't get it anymore. You can't get it because of this, this, and this, right? There's all these places. But then Canada, we've got, you know, our uh, illustrious Supreme Leader saying everybody's got to get vaccinated with your latest booster shot to be safe and effective. And we got to be protective and save grandma. It's still touting the same things, but there's no impact because there's no accountability because Canadians are not still holding them accountable. So they can get away with this. And it helps that they have state-sponsored propaganda machines that are constantly inundating the public every day with the same message. And the people that I see, you know, the, one of the real sad things for me, even in this day where we know, you know, our friends and family are not dropping like flies, maybe everything's okay, are the sheer number of people wearing face masks in their cars. That to me is like a thermostat, like a thermostat of the fear. The mass psychosis is still about here. It's not going down fast enough for me. <laughs> you should move to Alberta. <laughs> well, you know what? It's funny because, um, um, and congratulations, Alberta, on electing a premier um, who is just so riddled with common sense. It's just almost like it's, it must be really hard for some. And it is. You can see the, the people coming out in waves against her. You know you're, she's over the mark. She made a statement about face masking kids, um, which is just, it was like bittersweet because on one hand, finally someone in a position of political power is saying something that makes some sense. On the other hand, here we have Denny King and PEI hiding away in a basement somewhere, you know, still haven't seen him out since Hurricane Fiona flattened our island, by the way. He hasn't made a single public appearance, but by the way, we, we're going to put face masks back in schools soon because, you know, there's emergence of cases, you know, it's just insanity so i posted that but you know what a lot of people are seeing this and being like wait why is she saying that and why is the science different in the maritimes i'm just curious mm, mm, yeah um i didn't realize that so they're trying to push mask mandates in schools again right now i believe the university is still mandatory masking you can't go in there with a face, face mask um you can't go into certain establishments like hospitals or dental clinics i think without a face mask um, they still have signs on all the doors of everywhere saying face masks are strongly encouraged without any science to support that. Um, and they're starting to talk about it again. There's actually a group, which is super funny because I just love to sit in a room with the keyboard warriors and have them explain themselves. There's a group on PEI who is so incensed that our children are not forced to wear face nappies on their faces all day long and breathe in their own exhaust. They're actually starting to 
to protest the government <laughs> about the fact that there is no mandatory face masks in elementary schools. And that's why I'm running for school board. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I want to, um, I want to point that out and, and set you as an example, because we come across people all the time who say, oh yeah, it's so bad, but like, what do we do about it? You do what Dr. Braden is doing. She was canceled from her career. She was fired from her job. And now she's going for a school board because something has to be done about it. And you don't do anything about it without getting your hands dirty. So I just want to, I want to thank you for setting an example. And for anyone who is asking the question, how do we change the course of the country? Do that. It doesn't have to be a school board. It doesn't have to be anything in particular, but you got to get your, you got to get your hands dirty. You got to get in somewhere and show up and get involved because that's how you change the course of a country. One little step at a time. Uh, One, be brave. Two, do something. Yeah, two-step process. <laughs> two-step so process. You said you're, you're living off the land now. Have you always been interested in that or is this something new? I mean, you were highly educated, a doctor working in a highly technical field that most people like Zach and I could not comprehend the complexity of in that particular field. Now you've decided to go live on a farm. Are you, were you always living on a farm or? Yeah. I mean, we've always been, I've, I've loved growing food. I think that there's something to be said. And with small children, that's where they're going to learn. The most important lessons in life is when their hands are in dirt. Um, and so we always wanted to do that. I've gotten a quest. I'm started, but I didn't have the opportunity to put as much time into it. So now I've started my own um, horse breeding business and really living life to the fullest and we grow our own as trying to grow as much as we can. Um, and now we're seeing kind of this change in people who are, who are doing that. Other people are thinking, Oh, they they're doing something right. And Holy cow, milk is like $10 for four liters. Like, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. We're seeing the prices. Listen, I went to a grocery store yesterday, just as an aside, I cannot believe the prices of food. I've been, we haven't had to grocery shop all summer. We grow all our own food. Right. So I go in to get some, whatever, and it was shocking. It, guys, we are heading, Canadians, I know the food banks are the most tapped out they've ever been in this country. We are heading into some dark times this winter. And so one of the other things is that we want to provide for our local community because a lot of people are maybe not aware they are now, but we got to help. This community has got to help each other. Um, so that's another piece of it as well, not just for us, but our friends and family. Yeah, I've noticed the food prices thing myself and wondered how anyone living on a fixed income or a fixed budget is co is coping at all. Because, I mean, I go in just to pick up like, you know, stuff for a meal and you're looking at a $50 grocery bill, right? For one meal. It's like, how can people afford that? I, I don't I don't know how they do it. Yeah. Well, the problem is, is that people don't afford it. Right. If we're right. if we're calling a spade a spade, we're we're leaving we're leaving more and more people behind, that's right. and that's uh that's not a good place to be in. No. Um. So again, I want I want to point to Dr. Braden as an example, fired from her job, and is in the mentality of how can I help my community? Like that is so polar opposite of what you would expect. You know, you're you're fired from a position. You would think the reactionary feeling would be, I got to figure out how I can like hoard what I can for myself. But you again, are setting such a beautiful example and saying, how can I help the people around me? So 
uh, again, I just, exactly. I can't, I can't say enough Appreciate nice that. things about you. Um, no, I noticed. <laughs> you really got a roll today. <laughs> just crazy. Your name to I haven't. <laughs> okay. So anytime, so last time, last time, one of the things um, we touched on was the Pfizer papers, which is probably why your episode got removed from YouTube. So <laughs> I want to touch um, on something. Uh, the the most recent development that I've seen in the, in the Pfizer world is the thing that happened in the Dutch parliament. And I love asking scientists this question. I asked Dr. Watley this question too. Um, I must be too dense to understand, but could you describe to me what the speed of science is? Because I've never heard of that unit of measurement before. <laughs> I haven't either. Actually, I went to the internet and I asked a couple of uh, forums, did I miss this in first year? Oh my God. It's insane. Yeah. The speed of science. Yeah. The speed of science. It's right after you're passing the dollar bill. It was ridiculous. Embarrassing. They should be embarrassed. Yeah, absolutely. Well, well, particularly because they didn't tell us that we were working on the speed of science. They said it was safe and effective, right? right. Um, right. Now, I think Zach already mentioned this. Like nobody who hasn't taken it seems very regretful of not having taken it. And I know a lot of people who are regretful who did take it. Mm-hmm. But what do you think? So you worked in this industry a long time. I worked in politics most of my life. That was mm-hmm. that was my sphere. Worked for Harper and all that kind of stuff. And what shocked me, what kind of blew my mind was I've worked for these people. I've worked for the powerful. I've been in those rooms. I know these people. And for the first year, I couldn't figure out what was going on. I was like, why, why is this happening? This is ridiculous. I was looking at the data because I love data. I'm a, I'm a political operative. Literally voters and numbers and demographics are what we do, Right. And I'm looking at these things and I'm like, what, why are they making these decisions? So from a scientific perspective, like now that we're here, or we're now talking about amnesty, the speed of science, why do you think your colleagues made their decisions on these things? Um, plain, plain, plain and simple. Um, they didn't have a choice if they wanted to stay in the system. So, how many years of school? Like I did like 15 years of school. Okay. Like that's a long Ooh. time. And I would, and I, that was post-secondary <laughs> and I just shite. was in there, you know, <laughs> I was on tenure. So imagine someone doing that, um, six or almost seven figure salary or six, say six figure salary, four kids, giant mortgage, tenure track to be professor, all of your research and all of your funding comes from the government they tell you. They, so in the in the local institutions, you don't get to just willy-nilly decide what you're going to get funded for. No, we need money for climate change research. Or we need money for ocean acidification research. Because that's, you know, this is going to get you funded. This is going to get you funded. And if you don't do as you're told, we're going to take your funding away. And then no students come to your lab. And then you don't get the research hours. And then you don't get the, the tenure track. And that's like people's entire existence. One of the hardest things for me when I was canned, <laughs> oh, by the way, without due process or really any reason, <laughs> um, is, uh, is that it's hard to not let your career define you. Mm. I was a molecular biologist, immunologist. This is my deal. I was, people looked to me until I started disagreeing with them. Now they don't look to me anymore, which is interesting. But they looked to me as an expert in my field. And that's a really hard thing to let go. So why wouldn't I just take a a jab 
yeah, you know what? The government's not going to kill us. Like that's silly. I'm sure it's fine. And then I get to keep all my comforts and my cozy life. And I don't have to break out of this trance of maybe everything we've been doing for the last several hundred years is not true. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like maybe there's some malice behind this. There's so many questions that once you start asking, you can't stop. And from my perspective, I see a lot of colleagues, people who, who are incredibly intelligent people who are just as educated as me or more, so many more. Um, And they are just unable to accept the incoming psychological trauma that would incur if they were to admit that there's something wrong here. I I want to go into this because it's something that's very fascinating to me. You are surrounded, your life has been surrounded by specialists. 15 years in school means that you've just been narrowing down to this tiny understanding of very specific understanding of a very specific topic. Mm-hmm. I believe that the, the problem facing Western civilization is actually specialization. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. while I love uh, capitalism and I believe that the markets are one of the best mechanisms we have, the incentives around markets is hyper-specialization. Mm-hmm. And the problem with hyper-specialization is that it actually takes you away from a holistic understanding of reality. Exactly. You're a so, hub, not a network. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. And when you yeah. say, and when you say to me, these people are more intelligent, I've stopped caring whether a person's intelligent. Mm-hmm. All I want to know is whether they have wisdom. Mm-hmm. Right? Because and wisdom I do I do not think you can become wise by being hyper specialized. So I'd like your thoughts on that. Yeah, no, I completely agree. It's we know we think we know. We don't know what we don't know. That's the that's the problem. And we think we're super super awesome people because we've got PhDs and you know I'm, I'm academia. You nailed it, David. It it is it is unfortunate that it's been um, I think stolen from the initial intent of higher learning and by design perhaps has been now bastardized into this kind of rabbit hole of getting everybody to look at one thing really, really well, but then they can't break up and see the forest through the trees because they're just looking at the tiny little single celled organisms in the tree bark. Um, And that's really, really problematic. And when you try to break them free, because really it's science is, as you know, it's about asking questions, but when you want to like actually get in depth and ask questions, it has become so indoctrinated in this field and institution that it's offensive that you would even question the process of the science that we've all been sort of in school for so long to like follow the, the ridiculous nature of this vicious cycle is, you know, it's, it's really sad. It's sad to me because when I've asked a mentor of mine, actually, um, and I won't name his name, but if he ever will listen to this, which he won't, he'll know who he is. Um, the person I came to Prince Edward Island for, somebody that I respected so deeply, so deeply because he was, oh, go-getter and he was asking the right questions and I was a young scientist and I wanted to come here and work under him, so I did. And he's wearing a cloth mask and I was, I just had my second daughter and we were out for lunch. I wasn't wearing a mask. Everybody was, but they weren't forcing you to, but he was wearing it and I'm like, why are you doing that? Like, you know, that's dumb, right? Like, and his answer, well, and he was kind of like saying, like, why weren't I, why wasn't I wearing one? Well, my mask protects you, but you're not wearing one. And it only goes one. I said, are you kidding me? Like, 
the cognitive dissonance that it's just, it's really hard to wrap your head around because that is the stupidest thing you'll ever hear anybody say. And this guy has so much more, like he's, you know, that so goes to the wisdom, the wisdom and the intelligence. You're totally right. Um, and the problem we have now is we have a lot of people who think they're super intelligent with no goddamn wisdom and they're running the country. I couldn't agree more. So I want to dig into something you said about how, so you took this stand, right? And you, and you've, and you've taken this intellectual stand. Now you're suffering the consequences of that intellectual stand, but you said it's very, that was your identity. It was the thing that, that you held on to, to bring you, your world into understanding, right? The, a thing that humans do, as far as I can tell, and I'm no scientist, but I am a observer of mankind. And I've seen that if you attack a person's identity, they will react as if you've attacked them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And what we're experiencing now is like, I love that you, you just, I feel like you just opened up what people need to understand is the people who are pushing this are having their identities attacked and they're not brave and they're not strong. And so as soon as their identities attacked, they, they are like, oh, no, don't attack my identity. I'll do what you say. Exactly. Why do you think exactly. that is? Are you, you're someone who has suffered basically the meltdown of your identity, right? Um, was it so I, bad? It, it, it was at the beginning. It was super scary. The reason I, the reason I survived is because of my community that is around me. Um, I'm very lucky that my husband, we didn't make this decision unilaterally. We did this as a couple. Um, and it was also going through, it was interesting timing because I've been on this giant awakening tour since I arrived in PEI. Um, coming from British Columbia, um, most people that I know from British Columbia, and I could say this because I used to be from there, um, has a massive superiority complex. <laughs> and, and we just, you're just so entrenched in all of the things that are the root cause of the problems right now that we see, which is the liberalism, the, the woke mentality, um, you know, the saving of the trees and it was infiltrated by whoever. And that's another conversation, but I guess as I moved here and I was questioned on my paradigms at the beginning of it, it was very challenging. And I almost didn't, I broke up with my boyfriend who is now my husband. So luckily we, we went yeah, through that, but then I've been on this awakening since then. So I was already primed to question things. So I was lucky in that way. I could only hope that if this happened and, and I was still in BC, that I would have still saw the complete, complete ludicrous nature of what we're going through, but we can't, we can't answer that question, but I could hope that there's enough wisdom to, but anyway, so that's the reason why I think I was able to go through that. Now to get to your question, why people, so the human ego is the most fragile thing. And when your identity is tied to your ego and when that is entrenched in academia in this place of higher learning, that's all about the best for humanity. And we are doing what we can. I mean, you can just see how the house of cards is so easily put set on fire when you get to the foundation, which is the identity. And all of a sudden, everything that you've done for the last 20 plus years is under question. All of the grants that you've signed, all of the infiltration. And that's what I'm saying. If you start to pull at that tapestry string, you can't stop. Ooh, yeah. The trauma is so real and it's right on the tip of your tongue. And I know that every single scientist, every single doctor and every single professional who should know better because they're in this field, the back of their brain, there's a tiny little voice that is saying something ain't right, but they're pushing it and suppressing that voice because the alternative is that trauma. I had never heard it described from that perspective because I've 
I think I've talked on the podcast about my own journey through like kind of coming to realize that some weird shit was going on. And you're right. As soon as you start pulling at that string, the whole wardrobe comes apart and you're like, oh, the world is not as I saw it. And that's something that I did really, I I was primed for it too, because my, my mom has always thought that way. Um, but when I started processing it for myself, psychologically, it was unbelievably uncomfortable and disorienting. And like you question everything. As soon as you let yourself kind of cross that threshold into, okay, something weird is going on. How much weird is there? There's weird everywhere. It's, it's really it, weird. It's <laughs> there's weird everywhere. So, but I, I, yeah. but I am a, a 30 year old man who was never tied to academia, who didn't have, you know, 20, 30, 40 years under my belt of, I understand how things are going on. Like I just, that wasn't my experience. I never had that background. So I can only imagine the psychological trauma that would come to someone who had lived that life for their entire life and then was faced with this idea that maybe, maybe things weren't are maybe things weren't as they thought they were. Like that would be, that would be terrible for that person to go through. I hadn't thought of it that way. So that's very, very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think and I think that's the reason. So there, there are people in my life who are incredibly intelligent, incredibly smart who I actually really, really respect, who berated me aggressively when I took the stance that I did. And I think I think it is that thing, that fear of looking at the unknown that creates some of those dissonance in relationship. And uh, that's yeah. just that's just something interesting to chew on. Yeah. I think it's interesting because we've lost so much as a society, like an unbelievable amount. I don't, I don't think we can even calculate the wisdom that has been discarded by our arrogance. But so for me, all of this was different because at about 22 years old, I encountered the realization that, um, you know, the, let's call it the faith based understanding of reality that I have been taught all of my life through my upbringing and university I encountered modern academia, which was like, well, actually everything that you that you thought was wrong, right? And it, my journey from that moment on was a disintegration of ego because my entire ego was wrapped up in faith right. because raised by a pastor and homeschooled, right? And by a homeschool facilitator. And Zach was in a similar boat. So for me, when people were looking at reality and saying the government's evil, I was like, uh, yeah, like, yeah. Uh, I've been, <laughs> like, I've been, yep. I've known this since it was so weird because I've been running around the country screaming about how we got to stop the socialists from taking over for a long time <laughs> saying our universities are going like, I've, I feel like I've been like a voice in the wilderness crying out. Right. And, and nobody's been listening. And then suddenly it was like, oh, everybody's listening now. This is wonderful. early, not wrong, early, not wrong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting to me because the reason I asked you about this is this, I feel like when I went through that disintegration of ego, it took me five years to recover because, because it was like, well, what, what means anything? What, what has meaning? What matters? I had to, I had my whole worldview disintegrated and I would even say it. So seven years, let's say seven years, because it was pretty much this year that it came back and I was like, okay, now I, but now, like you said, 
that's not an ego-based understanding of reality anymore. It's very external-based. How does a scientist who spends so much time studying reality let their ego get in the way like this? Everybody is, is, there's no love of science anymore. And there's no, a really big piece of that, I think, is there is nobody seeking to understand before being understood. Like, a scenario, really good friend of mine, best friends, actually. We used to work together here in PEI and a very talented individual. Um, you know, he knew what happened to me. And instead of asking me, Laura, what happened? Nobody's actually asked me what happened. Actually, now that I think about it, not one single person that I would have been in, have been in my circle, my peer group has asked me what happened. What happened? Like, how could they do that to you? Because I was fired on the spot with no due course. Like it, it was super, let's just say legally challenging. And I'm going to leave it at that for whatever reason. And nobody asked me, nobody gave two sh- shits about what happened to me. It must've been vaccine. You know, she's been asking questions. And so she can't, yeah. You know what? You just don't do that anymore because that, that's what's going to happen. I'm not even going to touch that with a two foot pole. So people that actually purported to care about me as an individual, that that empathy and love and friendship and companionship and all of that completely out the window um, because of the fear of what might happen to them if they even engage in a conversation with me. And it's just insane. So of all the people that I know, I'm the only person with the immunological background that I have. I specialized in it. I know immunology really, really well. Actually, in the company that I work for, I'm the only person who understands immunology. <laughs> so the irony of that was interesting. Um, but nobody's like, well, hey, this is what you did for so long and you do. Like, why? If you have a problem with it, like, that's interesting. Maybe I should hear what you have to say. Nothing. Nothing. Isn't It's just, it's, oh, it's kind of shocking. That right actually. there. And you, and you kind of said it yourself as fear. Yeah. Mm. They, they became afraid. And they threw you under the bus so fast mm-hmm. it wasn't even funny. Mm-hmm. They didn't care because no. fear. And I think I have a theory on this that Canadians have not had any hardship really throughout. You nailed it, David. You yeah. nailed it. <laughs> you go ask anybody from Poland what happened when the government tried to put mandates in. They stopped real fast because all the citizens were like, we've seen this before. Ah! And then the government's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, you okay. We won't do that. And then everything's fine. Canadians have had it so easy. Mm-hmm. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, everything's fine. Yeah, I accept you. Tolerance, love, obe- obedience. Yes, govern me harder. Govern me harder. It's, uh, it's, it's sad because to me that shows, number one, as a, as, a, a, as a granddaughter of a badass general from World War II, that offends me on a cellular level that these people running around in this country don't have the respect for the for the men and women who died, put their lives on the line so that we would have this cushy, wonderful existence that we exist, you know, that we have now. And then they go and spit on their graves as they take their shot and burn their charter of rights and freedoms and don't let veterans into legions who aren't unvaccinated. Every single Canadian should boycott the Legion as far as I am concerned. What they've done to the veterans of this country is appalling. Well, the the Legion, one of the Legions here in Calgary is having a drag show for its people. So uh, not nice. sure what that has to do with a Legion, but. Right. Um, wow. <laughs> I want, I want to ask you, um, 
so 15 years of school, immunology. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like sometimes I beat, we're, we're beating a dead horse here, but I want you to lay out because of your experience and because of your area of study, why you were uncomfortable with the COVID vaccinations like lay out that argument from your area of expertise because I, I think it's still important to do that so that we don't forget. I, I agree. It is important because we're not going to forget because those people are going to be held accountable and we need to know why. So it sort of started at the beginning, Zach, um, when it didn't start with the vaccine for me. It started with the PCR. It started with the beginning of this, right? And we had talked about that before, um, looking at sequences and looking at the gen- and like Things were just not right. And actually, I'll put a segue in here. There was another preprint that was just published that I think that you should put down um, as a as an appendix one mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> for your readers, I which think, is the I new preprint. I think your last episode was our most cited episode. Yeah, it was. <laughs> because, and now, because... You know what? Dr. McCullough will say... That's the most important piece. This of that. is important to draw out. You back your yes. arguments with papers, yeah. right? You don't back yeah. your arguments with emotion or feeling, even though there might be an uh, uh, emotion and feeling in it. You say, mm-hmm. hey, look at this paper. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's important right? to do. So, yeah. No government official in Canada has ever done that yet. I'm still waiting. <laughs> well, We're I all just, still. I just, I just posted a, uh, a Ben Shapiro clip on the Canadian Story Instagram um, because he was basically saying, had I known then what I know now, mainly that I was trying to protect my wife's parents who are elderly and sick, yes. yep. I probably wouldn't have taken it. And of course, yep. Instagram drops in, independent fact yep. checkers have reviewed this and say it's missing <laughs> context and scientifically false yep. with zero citations. Yep. Cite and some shit. Say, <laughs> Cite something. Okay. If you want to make an argument, cite something. Yeah. But anyway, exactly. We're we're, yes. we're we're getting a little buried. Right. And well, no, that's here. really important. And I think that this is a great point. And um, the 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 paper that I'm referring to, it's in preprint, and it's got a lot of traction. And this is the beauty of what actual science should be about: is transparency. And they call into question all of their methods and say, listen, we're open to discussion on this. Now, I'll send you the preprint. It's open source. It's on Twitter. They're talking about it. The the authors are talking about it. Um, And basically, they found another uh, strong uh, line of evidence to support the fact that this was made in a lab. Another fingerprint of genetic genetic engineering in this virus, the virus backbone. And it's another, another example. They're piling on, except for sometimes... It's like there's like these spurts of people talking about it and then it's suppressed and then everybody forgets that this was made in a lab. Like what? So anyways, that we digress. I'll send you that. I think it's an important article to talk about because number one, the authors are so open. It's beautiful and they need to be commended for this. These people need to be brought into the light as an actual professional in the field. Um, and also the data is very clear and they, it's all open source code. It's using coding and R and they give everything Go reproduce what we did. Let's talk about it. Mm. So, so going yeah. Back so, to the um, just, of- just I want to, I want to detail this. This will be, this preprint will be available in the podcast show notes. That's so, make correct. sure if you're interested, it's important to look at this stuff. Go. It basically <laughs> says, and I, I want to, I want to actually, I want to quote because um, he has a Substack. I want to quote what they say. As a scientist with my scientist hat on, we've tried to be clear about the limitations, and I'm excited to hear what others contribute, especially if they prove us wrong. Please prove us wrong. Please prove to me mass work. Somebody prove something. 
I believe SARS-CoV-2 likely arose from a lab based on clear flaws of existing literature claiming zoonotic origin from a bat. Mm-hmm. That's just ridiculous. The strength of the evidence we provided herein and additional geographic, genomic and circumstantial evidence discussed elsewhere. I could be wrong. I'm not a judge, jury or ex- executioner. I'm just a scientist. I'm not science as Fauci will claim. I'm just a scientist. My civic duty is to see something, say something, and my job as a scientist is to pay particular attention on topics in which I may be able to see something that non-scientists cannot. The final line, we found strong evidence of synthetic origin of SARS-CoV-2. That paper I will supply to you, you can put it in the preprint. So getting back to the point, back in 2020, a lot of people saw some issues with the claim that this came from a freaking bat. And then we saw some issues with this notion of testing everybody and using PCR. Polymerous chain reaction PCR is something that I used to do on a daily basis, multiple times a day. I, troubleshoot, I was troubleshooting the technique. I learned it inside and out. I was discussing with the actual like companies, the biotech companies all the time. This I could do in my sleep. You don't use PCR to prove infectivity or that someone is infected with a virus. That is not what you do. Why are we doing this? Anybody tell me? Can anybody tell me? Shut up, Laura. We're do- we got to be, it's a pandemic. Fear, it's going to kill you. We got to be overcautious. We're going to do it anyways. It was just ridiculous. Okay, fair enough. You guys are making a fool of yourselves. <laughs> and, then the vi- and then the vaccine came out in like six months, which doesn't happen. Oh, and there were no animal trials or any safety data. And actually nobody was dying. That, that, and that is all I needed. For me not to take it or anybody that I love who knows me not to take it. Um, and then they started with this push on the kids. Mm. And it's a, so the, the, the important piece of this is that this is not like a regular vaccine, like an attenuated virus that we just put in like the zoo, like the flu or whatever, where we just kind of kill it or whatever. No, no, no. This is using, this is not an actual vaccine at all. This is genetic, like well, yeah, it's gene therapy. There's nothing. Let's call a spade a spade. It's gene therapy. That's what it is. You are getting injected with a gene delivery package and is going into your body and telling your body to produce something that doesn't exist in you. That is gene therapy. Cut and dried. Okay. So from your position, why is that potentially scary? It's scary for a number of reasons. Number one, the most important thing that I, when I think about, okay, why does this sit not sit well other than the fact that they're is actually no clinical data on safety and efficacy. That aside, why would this not, would I not want mRNA in my body? Well, when mRNA is translated into protein, there's so many different things that are happening to proteins when they're produced in your body. There's spliceiforms. So there's things like when you when you translate certain proteins, certain pieces are cut up and put back together um, and to make different isoforms of proteins. How do, they con- how do they account for that? How do they control for that in the body when they're just injecting you with mRNA? Is, how, how are they showing um, being regulated by the FDA? How are they showing quality assurance that this is going to be the same protein every single time when there's glycosylation, acetylation, all these different things that are happening to proteins when they're produced and released into the body? How are you assuring the people you are injecting that every single of one of those billions of nanoparticles are doing the exact same thing? You aren't. There is no quality assurance. They've even said there's an acceptable background contamination. That's concerning when we talk about prions, when we talk about misshaping proteins. 
And then we get into what the protein is. It's a toxin. Let's inject our bodies with an inflammatory molecule. What? It's so asinine. I want to go into three things on this that I think are really important. First, talk more about how the spike protein, it's a spike protein that we're talking about, I believe. How does that cause inflammation? I was literally discussing this with someone and I realized I'm not an immunologist. I don't actually know, but but I have this belief and I love your thoughts on it, that the spike protein actually attacks the weakest part of your body. So like it will end up, so if you say you, you have a propensity to cancer or a propensity to heart disease or a propensity to any of these things, it seems to be that th- yeah. that this spike protein is collecting in those areas and causing people problems. Everybody I know is okay. sicker. So you're, you're, you're sort of right. Okay. I mean, you're not wrong, but basically how it works is that it's an inflammatory molecule inherently. And we know that because there's literature and papers and I can get them for you again, um, where they've shown just injecting spike into mice causes inflammation without anything else. So there's no virus. It's just purified spike protein causes inflammation. So that's the definition of a toxin and they're found, um, and they're venomous proteins. They're found in many, many animals, virus, bacteria, parasites, bees, whatever, um, there's these molecules that are, they, they have their own biological activity. So when you have a molecule that causes inflammation, what happens is that it interacts with certain cellular receptors on inf- inflammatory cells like mast cells and T cells and cytotoxic cells. And what that does is that it causes a cascade event of signaling by your body in the inflammatory response. So pro-inflammatory cytokines are the result of that. So things like um, interleukins and tumor necrosis factor and, and interferons are then produced because your body is thinking that it needs to attack. The inflammatory response is marvelously adapted to just destroy what it needs to really fast. The problem is, is that if, if that's left unchecked, then you get collateral damage and you get actual immunopathology, which is what we're seeing when, with this inflammatory response in the, in the tissues. So that's not good. That's what happens when inflammation is allowed to go unchecked. Now, getting to your point, David, these things that people have, whether it's cancers or whether it's already pre-existing inflammatory conditions that are just on the cusp of maybe being subclinical, you just need a little push. And then that becomes, you know, for example, autoimmune diseases. If the person is, has a propensity to allergic dermatitis, and then you introduce a non-self molecule, your already dysregulated immune system is going to be even more perturbed. It's the same thing for cancers, for any kind of immunopathology in your organs, kidney disease, liver disease, Alzheimer's, because we know it goes to the brain. Like anything that it attaches to basically that shows that it's not self, your body will attack. So what the spike protein actually binds to ACE2 receptors on the interior lining of endothelial walls. And like when it does that, what happens is that there's an immune response because your body is seeing something attached to a cell that doesn't belong there. So your first line of of response, inflammation, let's just destroy it because it could be bad. But what happens is there's scarring. And so there was a recent paper showing that the scarring opens up these micro vesicle, um, tears in your, in your arteries and your capillaries, it gets into organs. It gets into the rest of your body. It gets past the blood brain barrier. They're finding spike in brains of people who have died from blood clots in their brains and it causes more immunopathology and it just continues to build. 
this is the absolute worst case scenario for an antigen. For them to pick spike, it's like all of their brains left their bodies and they forgot how to do science. There's well, that unless, is the only explanation. Unless, unless of course, there was malicious intent. Yeah, how shiny how shiny is your tin hat? <laughs> okay, okay, second question. Um I love the unvaccinated community. They're my community. I am one and and I've spent a lot of time with them, but there's a lot of conspiracy theories that run around, right? Mm-hmm. So let's get one thing confirmed. There's one, the big one is if you have sex with someone who's been vaccinated, you can get it yourself right? You, you will suddenly be vaccinated. Is that true? What's the truth of that? Why are people pushing that narrative? Is that, you know, what's, yeah. what's going on there? So that's an interesting question that I myself asked Dr. McCullough, who I believe is your next guest. Yes, and I yes. would pose him that same question. But what he told me is that if I were someone who want a, a childbearing age, and I wanted to have children at some point in the future, I would exercise extreme caution. And that's all I needed to hear. See, there's no real, the the whole concept of shedding, right? So it's not whether or not they're being vaccinated, but whether or not they're being exposed to this inflammatory molecule. So let's just look, what are the facts? We know it gets, it's not localized in the shoulder. Like that's just, like, that's just funny now, right? Like, no, it lasts for many, many months, 15 months. They found the protein in people post-vaccination. They found it in the breast milk of vaccinated mothers. So it gets past mucosa membranes. And when we know that it gets in the breast milk, we can assume it goes through all mucosa. So we can assume that it's in the, the genital tracts of humans. And so if that's the case, you've got spike that we know is in secretions, saliva, whatever. I mean, I, I would exercise caution as a human who doesn't know. Right. But, but we don't know, like, it's not like we know, okay, that will be for sure. We're just, no, we, we, no, we, no. there's caution around there, exactly. but like a lot of people are like, seen. no, it's a for sure thing. And I it's haven't like, seen that. Cause we have this other problem as a society now that we have to figure out, which is there's those who didn't and those who did, and those who did are way more numerous than those who didn't. And how do we reintegrate society? Should we reintegrate society? There's a lot of questions here, right? Like, you know, we don't do want we to heal? become, we don't yeah. want, the, you know, the victim to become the victimizer, and, you know, and, right. and suddenly we're creating okay. a two-tiered society where the pure bloods have risen above everybody else. But then also, you know, we, we've made this decision for a reason. So we need to, like, we need more information and we're certainly not getting it from our society, right? No. And there's an interesting piece to that that I'd like to add. There's a local mother here in Nova Scotia and um, her son um, who, who is in the hospital often, um, needed a blood transfusion. Um, and he needed O negative blood and the hospital. And she, she is uh, part of the truth community and was adamant that he did not receive blood from the blood bank because they do not screen people for white protein in their blood. And, um, she fought tooth and nail and they refused. There was people, she put out a plea on social media and people were lining up to go to Halifax, to the IWK, to donate blood for this little boy who we knew in the truth community. And we were, you know, oh, negative blood. We'll do it. I'll drive now. Let's do it. We're there. Let's help him. They wouldn't help. They wouldn't help her. They wouldn't accept this help. The, the, the staff of the IWK, they berated her. They accused her of being um, a conspiracy theorist, of course. Um, 
And, uh, and they were going to call social services and they were going to remove him from her care. And it was this brutal thing. And finally she got it. She was actually Robert Kennedy Jr.'s um, Children's Health Network. I believe oh, they did wow. an interview with her. And I believe that they ended up giving her blood from an O negative that they knew. Anyways, it worked out. But then there was another story recently of a baby who was given a transfusion of spike and blood and the baby almost died. Like this is a real concern for people. So getting to your question, David, yeah, you know, we don't really want to be living in bubbles and being like, oh, you're got, you know, we might as well just wear yellow stars or something. Are you vaccinated? Are you vaccinated? How gross is that? And how is that going to heal and repair our country in the division? Like, how do we start doing that? Um, and is there even any hope? That's like a huge bone of contention. It's only going to start. That conversation can only start once we move past what we're dealing with right now is still this push to vaccinate everybody. The control group is causing a real big problem, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, I can't, we, we definitely are. I can't even believe that we're still there. We're still at this push to like, you gotta go oh, get up to listen, date. I've got another story. I need to say this and I'm not going to say who, and I'm not going to say where other than it's PEI because this man, there's a man who requires emergency surgery and he is unvaccinated and they refused his surgery. He would, he would have died. His family had to go to the lawyer, to a legal firm, to get legal representation, to push the hospital, to give him his surgery. And they, they, let, they, 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 succumb, they said, okay, fine. Oh, if you're going to do that, I guess. Is that where we're at? We don't get to use our medical services if we're not like, and they apparently they have a list of people who aren't vaccinated, like make no bones about it. We're all on a list, but like there's different lists. What? Yeah. Um, That's Canada. And I would like to point back to our uh, previous episode with Sean Watley talking about how much we spend on healthcare um, and the idea. So I, I said in that episode, and it's a quote from his book, the average family spends $12,000, I believe that's off the top of my head, a year in taxes on healthcare. So that individual that you're talking about, Dr. Braden, is an individual who pays into the tax system for Medicare and was refused service and had to go get a lawyer to access that care. That's that's blatant discrimination. Absolutely. That's all it is. Yes. And that is going on yes. in our country, right? Yes. That is a huge problem. That is a massive, massive problem. And the same with, I can't believe, the same with the, the previous story of the individual who needed O-negative blood. There was O-negative blood available. And they said no. And they refused it. And they said yes. no. So think, and the mother was like, please, this person. And she was a match. They wouldn't take her blood either. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I can hook you up I, you, if you want to interview with these people. Absolutely. Should, absolutely. Yes. And yeah. I don't, I, I'm not a lawyer, but like as a citizen, as, and this is, this is just as a citizen, because I have no business making any claims. Those people should go to prison. Yes. Those people should go to prison for refusing to save a life, for refusing to do something that needed Remember to be done. Oath? Where's the oath? Yeah. Where is the Where's oath? doctors? Where is the oath? <laughs> You would you, you would know better than I. What exactly? Like it, the the first is to do no harm, right? Right. Okay. So and within their power to help anybody, regardless of race, creed, any discrimination, help a human. That's their oath. Okay. So you broke that shit. Yeah. Okay. You broke it blatantly. Mm -hmm. Where is the response? And the, and the funny thing is, they're breaking it over politics. And mm -hmm. we had Michael Binion on this podcast, uh, who's a, a great. Uh, friend and and thought leader in Canada, and one of the things he said is what we often forget. And I think a freedom, truth community, whatever we want to call it, often forgets is 
Most people do not operate in the world of principle and truth. Most people operate in the world of power and they're just trying to get more of it. And that's the, that's the history of humanity. Like we, we think that this beautiful, wonderful, free, uh, vibrant, flourishing society of Western civilization that we created is, is the norm because it's our norm, but it's not the human norm. The human norm is tyranny. The human norm is slavery. The, I mean, we were just had Brad Trost on here who, who went over to Russia right after the Soviet Union collapsed. And he talked about how people wouldn't even look up. They wouldn't even look into each other's eyes because everybody was trying to, you know, bury the other person in the gulag so they could get ahead. Right. That was the whole society. It wasn't individuals. It was everybody. And it feels like what you described uh, Dr. Braden, when you said all of my friends, not one asked me what happened. You said all of these colleagues, all of these friends, not one of them, because they were afraid. Yeah. They yeah. were afraid that it would and happen. And you see their true colors and you see that, right? It shines through. And that is part of, I think, another piece of it that, you know, we get back to the question, like, why don't people engage and why is nobody wanting to seek to understand um my good friends, as I mentioned, are from BC. So I've had a real challenge with that. My friends from British Columbia, because, and I'm as guilty as they are, nobody wanted to talk to each other because we were afraid of seeing what we were afraid to see, which was them completely alienate me or, or say, or, or, or support the vaccine mandates or to support the discrimination of people and seeing that would be really hurtful. And on the other hand, on their side of things, they didn't want to ask me what happened because then something like that happened to somebody that they know. And that's like, why, like Laura used to be the top of her fear. Like, why would that happen to her? So there's this fear that goes both ways. Um, and we really just start to need to, we need to start to stop fearing regardless mm -hmm. and get to the truth. Um, because those are the people you want under the umbrella with you. Those are the people you're going to fight side by side, proverbial fight or real fight. We don't know yet. Proverbial right now. I want people beside me and behind me. I can trust. And the people that I can trust are a different group of people now than they were three years ago. That's for darn sure. Right. They've come out in the wash. We've seen this, you know, we were hugging complete strangers in Ottawa, complete strangers. I met people there. And we are like this now, Tasha Fishman, my soul sister. I met her the day I got to Ottawa and her and I are besties and I would never have met her. I wouldn't even have thought in a million years we'd be friends. And then it's just so interesting, right? Like how that's come out. The people that really like the, the people who are vibing on the same frequencies are finding each other. There's get, been the, there's been a sorting the, the yeah. wheat and the chaff. Have been separate. I, yeah. I've always said, from the beginning, I said, well, the most likely thing is that this is a way of taking the people who would not comply and identifying them very quickly, right? Yeah. That's what I thought before. I learned like the, some of the stuff you shared about the spike protein and things. But being a political person, I was like, well, if I was implementing something like this, it would be purely to identify who the rabble rousers would be, who the dissidents mm -hmm. would be, who, who the problem people would be, and separate them, isolate them, get them out of society. Now you have a compliance society. But as this has gone on and time has improved, I think they've made a horrible mistake. They've, <laughs> they've brought us all together. <laughs> 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 it's true. 
It's true across the country and different places and things are coming up and people are coming together and making these beautiful groups like the Ezra wellness project and, you know, unschooling across the country efforts. And, uh, it is, and the, and the freedom and the bartering system and just learning on PEI, we have this amazing bartering system. Like I don't really pay people with cash anymore. I, we have a cow dairy. You want some milk? Great. I got this. We got this. We got lobster. You got this. You know what I mean? It's, it's amazing. That's how it should work. And everybody's learning off each other and we're learning how to make like, you know, use what nature provides. Like there's, there's this an amazing plethora of things in our backyard that we could use. And we've been taught to not trust the people who go and pick dandelions out of a field and drink it because they're complete crazy people. Instead, let's go get a beta blocker from a pharmacist. That makes more sense, right? So that part of it is too, it's so beautiful. I wouldn't even imagine a million years I would be making tinctures. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, Here I am. <laughs> I, I, I've got a question. Um, so, the 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 spike protein causing inflammation. Um, yeah. Would that um, weaken the immune system? Hundred percent. Okay. The other thing they found. So I have. I have a, I'm asking this on 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 behalf of a friend because I have a friend who was vaccinated, and this person said, you know, a, a healthy person. And this person said, ever since I got it, I get sick every month or two. And I never used mm-hmm. to get sick. And um, is, would, would, that, would, would that make sense to you from your mm-hmm. science 100%. brain? Because I, I don't have yeah. a science brain. Like, yeah. can, you, yeah. can you describe what might be going on? Mm-hmm. They've shown, there's a number of different papers, and I don't have them on the top of my head. So I will go back and get them. Um, that have shown a depletion of T cell populations after injection with the, um, with the mRNA vaccines. Um, your T cell populations in your body are incredibly important for antiviral, antifungal, and well, most everything actually. Um, and so if that p- population of cells is reduced, number one, you're going to get sick more often and easier. And number two, your cancers are going to be unchecked because one of the main things that these T cell populations do is they go around cytotoxic T cells grow on your body every day. We have little cells that go off course and they need to be destroyed. And these cells, these T cells go around and basically destroy them, make sure everything's in homeostasis. Everything's good. You knock that population down, you get cancers, you get weird cancers, you get aggressive cancers. You have viral latent viruses. Like we're seeing shingles come out and herpes come out and chicken, all these things because they're not being checked. Mm-hmm. So yes, that makes sense. And actually an interesting paper um, just published, and it was in the Substack Dr. Paul Alexander talked about, is that um, vaccinated people are three times, three times more likely to get the new variant, the, B, the BQ, I believe is called variant of COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just one example because it's a virus and they, they're totally suppressed. Right. I have one, uh, we have to uh, end here shortly, but I have one last uh, question. I, uh, David, I'm, I'm nowhere near done. <laughs> as long as, as long as we're just, we're just, okay. <laughs> listeners, we're giving up on this whole hour episode thing because there's too much interesting stuff going on, but I am, I'm not done either, but the virus produces spike proteins. Yeah. So I think one of the things that I think a lot of people are, are not paying attention to that I want your thoughts are on is COVID itself is doing this to us, but then the vaccine increases what COVID does. Is that, am I right? Yeah. So there's that, but also there's differences as well um, because the spike proteins are not the same. The spike protein produced by the virus uh, is, is different 
in, in that the spike protein produced by the vaccine is bioengineered. It has different properties that make it more stable. Okay. Um, number one. Number two, the spike protein produced by the virus is happening in the nasopharyngeal area, not systematically or systemically, like in your brain, wherever the nat- nanoparticle lands, basically, or wherever the spike protein then floats to. And we bioaccumulation data, and you can ask Dr. McCullough to talk about this because he's very up on it. It's everywhere. It goes everywhere. They found it in the ovaries. They found it in the brain. They found it in, you look, it doesn't matter, breast milk. Like, can we just for one second talk about the travesty of that? These women were told it fine. And it's, there's babies, go to bears, the system, bears, just go look at that. If you, you know, infants drinking contaminated breast milk and then hemorrhaging because their intestines are so fragile and they're getting, they're, they're accumulating spike protein. Yeah. The tragedy of the area. Anyways, that is, that is what's going on is the spike proteins going everywhere. And so, so just not a natural confirm, situation. Cause I'm not a scientist. The spike protein from COVID is not the same as the one that's produced by the vaccine. No, the one produced by the vaccine is a truncated version. It's not the exact, it's not the same amino acid by amino acid. One is produced by our body, which, and it has a different sequence and it's a, a different sequence, meaning it's, it's, it's engineered to be a bit more stable. So the mRNA piece is different than the mRNA from the virus. Okay. Um, uh, I don't know exactly what's going on in terms of what, what the exact nucleotides are, but it's not codon for codon, the exact same. It's meant to be, and actually they, they purported to produce a spike protein that was less pathogenic. That was what they said they did, but it still acts as a toxin. It still does the same thing. And it's still packed, packed in liquid, in, in lipid nanoparticles, which by themselves are toxic. So have, has anybody, I don't know if you guys have talked about it or, or heard about this, you know, you see the, well, there's a placebo is just as, you know, what's different. Well, they're injecting people with the LNPs from the placebo. Uh, they didn't even do the scientific experiment correctly. They didn't have a saline injection. If you had a saline injection, an LNP injection, and then an LNP plus mRNA injection, that would have been a well-balanced design. But no, because then it would have just shown the LNPs were actually themselves toxic. Okay, okay. I wa- Dr. I want- Jessica Rose speaks about this really, really well. I would highly recommend you. I want to say, I want to say that one that. more time. Okay. A, a proper experiment would have been the test group, which is the actual vaccine with the spike protein encapsulated in the lipid nanoparticles, which are also toxic. And the correct control group would have been a saline solution that didn't have lipid nanoparticles. But what you're saying is in the trials, they injected the the trial group with the nanoparticles and the spike. And in the control group, they injected the nanoparticles without the spike, which are still toxic. Right. Yeah. It, oh, the so, proper experiment would have had three groups, not just two. Okay. The proper placebo, which is to show that there's no impact of the mRNA, the proper placebo in this case would have been the lipid nanoparticles solely. Mm-hmm. But then there needed to be another experiment to show, another control group to show that those had no impact. There should have been three groups. Mm-hmm. There's only two. Okay. So, so any, uh, that's like, Moot. Is it so? Is it? Is it? Is is that just the speed of science? Then is that what the, that the is? Must, you know what? 
that's what it is. It's the speed of science. Oh, wow. Well done. Yep. You brought that right around. <laughs> well, now a, I understand. I'm actually understand. a highly qualified you scientist. Now you know what the speed of science is. Uh, Zach is secretly a scientist, by the way. Okay, so I have another question then. Sorry that I keep peppering you, but I'm so curious. So in the body, how does the reaction differ between the body's reaction to the spike protein introduced by the vaccination and the spike protein introduced by the actual virus? Both as far as I can tell, would cause inflammation. But it seems to be that the vaccination has all of this other baggage. How do like right. how how is it that people who encounter the spike protein from the virus are potentially better off than people who encounter the spike protein from mm-hmm. the vaccination? So a number of different uh, things off the top of my head that I could think that would be contributing to this. Number one is the location of the infection, right? So you're getting infected through your nasal pharyngeal area. It's in the mucosa, it's in the upper airways. Um, and that's where the virus lives and bakes in your nose. Okay. So you're being exposed in a very minute point. Number one, number two, it's a little bit at a time and then it grows as the virus replicates, you're getting more spike, getting more spike, you're getting more spike. And then your body is going through, um, the normal curve of infection dynamics. You're not getting an injection all at once of something in your blood. Mm-hmm. So that, okay. So there's, that's number two. Number three is the fact that you're getting an injection in your blood and your body is, is then attacking indiscriminately everywhere where it would normally in a natural environment, natural si- system only be going to One where the place. spike was, yeah. where the vi- virus was. So, it's the introduction method, it's the location, it's the volume, it's the quantity, and then add the LMPs, which we know are uh, inflammatory, toxic. Mm-hmm. So, it, um, yeah, they both bind to ACE2 receptors. They both, they both bind to that. And, you know, there's, there's real pathology associated with long COVID. That's a thing. People who are susceptible and their bodies can't take, of this, take care of this infection, 85 plus, you know, compromised people, they have these issues. This is, that is the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, they shouldn't be getting injected either, as far as I'm concerned, because their immune systems aren't as well adapted as ours. Right. Mm-hmm. So to me, that's like, anyways, those are the reasons that I can think of. I really, I would, I would pose that question to Dr. McCullough. I'd be really interested in what his thoughts are um, because he's spoken about this at length, I think, in some of his seminars he's made, because that's a question people often ask. Um, and then it's the synthetic nature of the protein as well. We don't really know what's in the injections. Can I also put that out on the, on the, like we, we talk, we're told what's in there and we have the sequence apparently of what's in there, but they don't. So you've heard of batch effects, right? Mm-hmm. Of the vaccine. Mm-hmm. Like there's batch effects. Like Dr. Jessica Rose does this well, David, you got to get her on the show, man. Like she's, yeah, amazing. we gotta, we gotta get her on the show. Okay. Yes. Um, I can facilitate that introduction. Please if you do. Like. Please do. Oh, yes. She is do. phenomenal. She does. She does. She does this analysis on the data and shows that there's actual batch effects. Certain batches of the vaccine are were more toxic to people than others. Um, why are they different? What's in there that we don't know? They're not checking that every single mRNA strand that's produced is the same. They're not checking that there. That's an impossibility. Because because of the state of science, because of what they're doing. They never checked. They never did the checks and balances to begin with. And they're not doing it now because they're producing it so rapidly. It's an impossibility. There is an acceptable, exactly. There is an acceptable level of background contamination in these injections. Pfizer themselves set that in their documents. 
Yeah. So some have more than others. Like, what does that even mean? How does that differ from previous vaccines that have been manufactured? I mean, in some ways it doesn't. <laughs> There's always an acceptable level of background contamination. The difference is, is now it's gene therapy drug in an LMP, which by the way, there is an interesting story out by Bright Light News. I suggest you watch. I don't know if you know Glenn Parks, but he inter- uh, he um, interviewed um, Dr. Burkrat, I believe is his last name. Anyways, I'll share it with you. Um, they're trying to make all vaccines, this technology with mRNA and, and, and liquid nanoparticles. And Dr. Byron Bridal talked about this to me as well. That's the concern is they're talking about doing this with the flu vaccines. Mm-hmm. So you're going to introduce a new gene therapy drug every year with no data on how it interacts, protein pull, any of that stuff that we talked about earlier. Would it not be prudent? And call me crazy. I don't know. Would it not be prudent to to say, hey, well, you know, we just put mRNA into a large portion of the global population. Maybe it would be wise before we just cross over and enter this new era of vaccination with mRNA across the board to wait 15, 20 years and, you know, see what happens because right. we don't know. And that was that was my first. I mean, I, I, I didn't have arguments as well or um, as properly articulated as yours because I'm not an immunologist. But when this vaccine came out, the first position that I stood on is there is zero long-term data. It's brand new. Like, so do you like, so safe and effective. What do you mean? You have no idea just by like running a simple logic on it. Like you don't actually know you're saying one thing, but you can't tell me that because it's new Mm -hmm. and you're saying it's new and there's no long-term data. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. As far as I'm concerned though, if we go like, yes, that's, that's where we're at with vaccines right now. I think the entire vaccine schedule needs to be ripped down and let's start again Mm -hmm. because, um, part of the last couple of years in the awakening process has been now I don't trust anything. Yeah. And you know what? Nobody should because these people, the public health people who, you know, we trust inherently, we're going to inject this unknown substance into my baby and tell me it was safe without knowing it was safe. That's malfeasance. They, well, they, they don't that care is about, medical they neglect. Don't care no. And, and so, right. So everybody needs to be asking these questions. Why are you giving a two month old a hep B vaccine? Why are you giving uh, Gardasil out when it's banned in, in, F, in non-FDA regulated countries because it's toxic? Why are you injecting newborns with vitamin K without any data when there's adjuvants in it? Let's talk about every single thing that the pharmaceutical company and the captured health authorities do. Let's break it down to its little bits and start again. You know, yeah, what, well, I'm, you know, what, you know what really Let, bugs me? Let's burn the health authority to the ground and get something new. You know what really <laughs> bugs me in all of this? It really, 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 really bugs me. Where the hell is the left on all of this? And I'll, uh, let me explain. Let me explain. Where the hell is the left? Okay. The left are like stick it to the man. The left are yeah. like, excuse my English or my French, but fuck your, like, fuck your corporate like ideas. Like, yeah. like I hate you. You're getting rich off of like exploiting yeah. all these yeah. other people. Where are those people because that's what's happening. There's the man. He's here. Well, actually, the problem is they are the man now. Yeah. It's just like, (laughs) what is like- like, Where are the fascists? Where are the fascists, Antifa? 
yeah, yeah. Exactly. Like the man, the man is clearly here. He's right yeah. here. And yeah. yet the left just haven't figured that out yet. And I, I can't, I don't know why. <laughs> no. I mean, the marketing campaign has been very successful. If, if I could, uh, <laughs> if I could speculate, I, I don't think people actually think it left and right. I, I've, I've come to this conclusion, or not conclusion, but I've, I've ha- postulated that Ben Shapiro is utterly wrong. Yeah. Facts don't care about your feelings is a ridiculous phrase because feelings don't care about your facts. Yeah. Right. And most people operate their entire lives based on feeling. And I think based on the conversation we were having with Dr. Braden earlier, she's like, it's, it's all comes down to, they gave all their life to this and they don't want to have to suffer because they feel like they sacrifice so much to get where they are. And they're not willing to lose that. That's the, and you know what? Somebody or some group of people or who knows, maybe some spirit. I don't know. But what I do know is somebody figured that out and they're using it against people. They're, oh, yeah. they're using it to control people. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so let me ask you this then. Where are we from a scientific perspective now? Last time we spoke to you, I don't know. I didn't look. It was maybe a year ago, maybe sooner than that. But um, obviously a lot has changed. So from your perspective, I imagine you keep your ear quite close to the ground on all of this. What do you see emerging? Um, because the, the science is being done all the time still. People are still mm-hmm. working on this. What is the new information? What do you see going on? Well, I see there being a lot of disclosure. That's the thing that I think is really exciting. Um, and so in terms of the science, um, there's just more validation of the initial conclusions that were drawn that, you know, all these things are really bad for you. COVID is just a bad flu. All these early treatments are curative. Why are, you know, all those things are remaining. They're just accumulating evidence. Like the stacks of paper and ivermectin, like, you know, that's why they canceled Dr. McCullough because he was so right. Um, and, and so, and the genetic origin and all those things continue to be sort of the questions asked. And again, the same conclusions drawn. I don't really see a difference in that. What I see is the disclosure of what we've been saying this whole time. Like for example, the Brian Peckbert lawsuit, and the disclosure associated with the fact that our government actually didn't follow any experts at all. They just acted unilaterally without any support for the travel mandate. And then that being squashed in court and it's under appeal. But the fact that that was squashed in court, um, the precedent set there. I don't know if that's something that you guys have spoken to anybody about. But the fact is that the damage was done in the past. Therefore, it has no retribution in the future, that's like saying I could go kill somebody and then in 10 years, it wouldn't matter. Like the law is completely failing the justice system. If that goes through, if that is not is an unsuccessful appeal, I don't know where justice will be in Canada, to be honest with you. Well, but let's look at your circumstance, right? Where despite the fact that you, you are surrounded by supposedly the brightest and most intelligent people alive who are supposed to spend their entire times questioning themselves and data in order to get better answers to be less wrong and science has been completely corrupted to the point where now they say trust the science as if that wasn't the most antithetical 
state that, that that's literally slavery is freedom. That's yes. Orwellian to the extreme. Right. <laughs> so why are we surprised that our justice system is no longer? I suppose. Well, that, I guess right? so. That that goes all afraid of losing their jobs. That, yes, of course. That goes back to what we were talking about earlier about the massive psychological uh event it is to realize something is amiss because as soon as you start pulling on that thread it's yeah. not just medicine maybe it's the justice it's system pervasive maybe it's yeah. the government maybe it's yeah. the ne- maybe it's education yeah. and i think it is all of those things and mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. like to i grew up thinking canada was this like was was one of the best places in the world to live and i i i still to a large extent believe that but you know you would learn about in school all these like crazy things going on in other places where the government wasn't honest and you couldn't trust, you know, all of these institutions that we in our country are supposed to be able to trust. Well, joke's on me. Joke's on me, isn't it? Yeah. Um, And that's the disclosure part that I'm talking about. Yeah. Because people can't possibly be okay with that without realizing that it's broken, Mm -hmm. you know? And then, you know, we go to um, (laughs) what happened in the Netherlands. Basically, what that has done is shown to be, it should, it's made, it's made mainstream, I think, to some degree, and maybe not in Canada because CBC is, <laughs> Don't give me Rachel Gilmore, she's busy. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like, so there was never any data on transmission. This entire last year of discrimination, of people being, of dying alone because they couldn't have family with them. I know someone in Ontario right now. And this poor woman is suffering with stage four renal cancer, a beautiful mother of four, I believe, for a long time. She's my age. God love her. And uh, she just had a stroke. She's really not doing well. And they had to put her in Barry um, in the stroke unit. And she's not allowed to have a single family member with her right now because of COVID. I can't even... They are taking people's lives, the last most precious moments of their lives, the suffering this woman has endured and the, 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 the service she's made to her country with her kids and with her life. And they're just shitting on it, you know, over this still, still, you know, uh, it's just, it's so hard. So all of that, no transmission data. It doesn't stop transmission. Oopsies. We forgot to tell you all of that suffering for nothing. Going, Where is the outrage? Going back to fact-checking, um, when I first came across that post... Was the Pfizer COVID vaccine tested on stopping the transmission of the virus before it entered the market? If not, please say it clearly. If yes, are you willing to share the data with this committee? And I really want a straight answer. Yes or no? And I'm looking forward to it. Thank you very much. Um, regarding the question around, um, did we know about stopping humanization before um, it entered the market? No. Uh, these, um, you know, we had to really move at the speed of science to really understand what is taking place in the market. And from that point of view, we had to do everything at risk. When I first came across that post, the fact check on it was the funniest fact check I've ever seen. Basically, the fact check was, this isn't new news. The data has been published for a long time. We've known for a long time that Pfizer didn't check if it blocked <laughs> transmission. It's like, 
then why did you say it did? <laughs> because remember- it's gaslighting at the highest level. It is, because remember, let's, let's not forget. You got it so that you didn't give it to grandma. Yep. That's, That's transmission. Most, That's what yep. everyone said. No, no, no. But then there's even worse. And I think more people got it for this. I think it was, they didn't want to lose their jobs. Yeah. Right. It was, we were at what? 50, 55% of those people, the ones that didn't want to give it to grandma and good on them. But then there's that other 20%, right. That, that were coerced into it. Those, those people are pretty upset. I think. I think so. You know that 80, I heard an interesting stat that 83% of Canadians are not fully vaccinated anymore. Is that, did you hear that yeah. as well? Oh, uh, do you know the, the one thing that the vaccinated and the unvaccinated share in common? They'll never be fully vaccinated. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. I know a parent of Scotia, um, a lovely guy that I've met in this journey, and he has um, pericarditis. Uh, he's a paramedic. He was, he's a, he's a, um, quite advanced care paramedic and was able to look at his own ECGs and whatnot. Um, EKGs? EKGs. And, uh, and was like, yep, yeah, I have heart damage. I've got pericarditis. He can't work anymore. He can't like really stand up or do things. He's totally young guy. Shape of his best shape of his life is totally incapacitated now. Um, and will need likely a heart transplant in five years or so. Um, he had one dose. He wasn't allowed to travel. He was treated like I was, which was like a prisoner. You weren't allowed to, in the Maritimes, you weren't allowed to go in between provinces without proof of vaccination, which is interesting. Um, and they wouldn't, he was on house arrest and blah, 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 because he wasn't vaccinated. He went from Ottawa to back to Nova Scotia. Anyways, he's going to need a heart transplant and he won't be eligible because you need to be fully vaccinated. The vaccine gave him the heart condition that he now needs to have a new heart and he won't be allowed to it because he won't get any more, even though he is one of those uh, criteria for not needing another one is pericarditis or myocarditis. They refuse to give him that exemption. And now he's going to, it's just insanity. NCI, when is the national citizens inquiry starting? Is that today? It's a day. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's what we need. I, I want to, I want to get to that because you know more about that than I do. So let's, let's tell me what you know. I know very little. Okay. This is a movement for the people by the people. That's in a nutshell, you know, we can't have government involved in anal analyzing how the government screwed up. Like the, to, that's just an obvious thing to me, but I guess not to all people. This needs to be funded by the people and run by the people. And a number of different stakeholders, including um, the Canadian COVID Care Alliance, Taking Back Our Freedoms, Vaccine Choice Canada, a couple of other groups. Um, I don't know the rest of them, but there's quite a few stakeholders that are involved in spearheading this project together. It's going to be a national um, effort um, where, and it's fundraising right now. There's a petition people can go to the national citizens inquiry.com. Please fact check that. Check <laughs> It'll be in the show <laughs> notes. It'll, It'll be, be in the, the show notes, notes everyone. And <laughs> everybody go and you know what? Even .ca. if you, dot .ca. .ca, of course, even if you don't know what's going on and you're like, I don't know where I feel about any of this stuff. The petition is simply saying that you agree there needs to be some kind of investigation. I think everybody is questioning what happened in one way or another. So go sign the petition. Um, it's being funded at the grassroots level. There's going to be paid commissionaires for each 
area that are going to be taking testimony. I am part of the working group for the Maritimes. We're going to be working together um, out of probably out of a single area, Moncton likely for all four provinces in the Maritimes, getting people together. I have so many vaccine injured people who want to speak and who are so spitting hot mad right now. There's a woman here who has nonstop erupting blisters on her mouth since the vaccine. There's people like the paramedic I talked about. There's a woman, she's a nurse. She went blind 20 minutes after injection and she's just been actually effectively banned from being a nurse anymore. Her entire union got rid of her. And she like, there's people that are died. There's, there's so many people, small businesses who have completely lost. As we know, the harms cannot be quantified and they have a chance to say their piece. And then we're going to look at who's responsible for it because this whole amnesty bs it doesn't it's not recognized by this group i'll tell you that right now okay so describe to me how it works so there's a petition that can be signed that's great Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. you can i imagine donate money to it that's Mm -hmm. great because it needs to be funded by the people because this is the Mm -hmm. people's argument this is the people representing the people where like where does that money go and how is it that we would hold people accountable like what is what is the machine how does the machine behave like what is the legal process what what actually happens okay i'm gonna have to refer you to uh, a later conversation on all of those details i believe they're still being worked out in terms of the accountability piece for the funding the funding is going to go to pay for the commissioners we're going to need to have non-biased people taking these testimony um and reporting it uh, recording it um, and so those people are going to be paid positions. Everything else is volunteer based and it's based on a consensus of a high stakeholder working group that is going to be directing everything. There's the honorary chair, I believe is Preston Manning um, and um, Brian Peckert's involved. All these truth community groups are involved as well as other stakeholders um, like the Doctors Alliance, like the Lawyers Alliance, like the groups like that. When it comes to the um, administration of who is ultimately responsible, this is going to be I see this as building a case to then take to the highest courts mm-hmm. because obviously we can't enforce any, you know, we're, it's, a, it's a citizen, citizen led inquiry. Whereas the teeth, the teeth will come when we show the harms and when there's a documented evidence based sort of trail of you guys screwed up here, 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 and here, and look at all the harms that were done for no reason. And then that is what's going to be taken forward. But like the, the, the minutia of that, I wouldn't be able to comment on. So let's just hold that one. No, that's that's great. I appreciate yeah. your honesty. Um, and the yeah. the explanation helped anyway. Um, and I yeah. imagine if people go to the website, um, they can not only sign the petition petition but also donate. And yes. um, I imagine on the website there would be a place if if there is someone who wants to testify, they could get a hold of whoever Absolutely. they need to get a hold of. If they have yes. a story of vaccine injury or whatever else it might happen to be, maybe the, I'm, I'm sure there's, I am sure there are things that I have no understanding of that have happened that need to be talked about and hashed out. Yes, um, exactly. So one more time, it's .ca, but what's the website? NationalCitizensInquiry.ca. Okay, sweet. And it went live today. So today, uh, the 2nd of November, is it's live. And no, I'll tell Andre you, was working on it till 3 a.m., so. Yeah, he, <laughs> this is, um, it, I mean, it, it goes without saying that this is history, right? This is historical. And I think <clears throat> we talk about grassroots movements and grass and, and doing something and being brave at that level in whatever way you can. Um, <clears throat> And we talk about needing to repair the country and the division. Um, I see this as a tremendous opportunity to do all of those things. 
um, giving people hearing other people talk about their ordeals and being vulnerable, all of a sudden those divisions, whether you're vaccinated or not, like it doesn't matter because at one we've all been lied to equally. Um, some people a lot, you know, imagine a single mother who had no other option but to be vaccinated to keep her job so her child could eat. She's in my corner, hundred mm, percent. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think I think we are going to see our country come together because whether you are vaccinated or not, if if you can't get behind that single mom who got vaccinated to feed her kid, like yeah. there's I don't I I have more hope for our country than that. I, I don't think there's very many people in this country who wouldn't get behind that person. And no. we're actually they they did a very good job of drawing out vaccinated and unvaccinated, but I think we are we are moving past that now. I don't think people care anymore. And I think we are moving to, okay, what are we going to do about all everything that yeah. happened? What are we going to do? Yeah. And whether you're vaccinated or unvaccinated, we can all be on the same page about that because we don't want that future for our country. And exactly. so- that I'm so excited about what this might turn into. Um, I don't yes. want to give it too much steam before it gets going, but like, okay, I feel we'll touch back later. I feel in like January. I feel <laughs> yeah. I feel like I, like when World War II finished, they ran the Nuremberg trials because some weird stuff went down that shouldn't ever happen, and I kind of feel that's in a way the position that we are back in, and we 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 went astray. And we need to take account. We need to listen to the people who were affected by it. And we need to recalibrate so that we as, whether it's the citizen or the government or the institution, puts the needs and rights of Canadians first. So that's where we are in history now. And frankly, that's an exciting place to be because we get to define what our country looks like going forward. So I'm excited. <laughs> Yeah, I think just to add to that, <clears throat> I think one of the reasons why we've allowed ourselves as Canadians to be put in this position is because we were pretty pretty quick to forget our history, right? We were pretty we were pretty quick to forget what happened not too long ago. Um, people who came from communist, you know, people in Poland didn't forget. People in Romania didn't forget. There were some countries that didn't forget because things were pretty fresh. And they haven't allowed that history to be removed from them because it's part of their identity. And being strong and rising up against that tyranny is what uh, brings them together. We as Canadians kind of forgot about that because as part of this beautiful country is there's so much diversity. And that diversity is all these different backgrounds and countries. And maybe we don't have that togetherness feeling because we haven't fought tyranny, tyranny together. Um, we are effectively doing that as we speak. and. Part of why I'm so driven to, even though my kids aren't in the school system, part of the reason why I'm so driven to be involved in that level is because I am determined um, to not let us forget our history anymore um, because we can't repeat this again. Uh, and Canadians need to know where we need to be. And it isn't uh, in the, you know, it isn't in line getting shots with our face masks on, not talking to each other and not giving grandma hugs because yeah. some bureaucrat yeah. said being able to so. go to your to their funerals. 
Unfortunately, yeah. I have to leave. So, Zach, I guess if you want to keep going, I'm already <laughs> three minutes late for my next meeting. So thank you very much, Dr. <laughs> nice meeting you. <laughs> <laughs> did did we miss anything? Or- um, I don't know. I feel like we did. We, we talked about a lot. Um, uh, unless there's anything else that you want me to touch on, it's been a really great. Like, I really feel like we've got we've got a lot under today's chat. But yeah, I think so too. What else did you want? No, yeah. no. I think I think I've run out of questions. Um, so I. How about I, this? I would like to talk to you. I know you're going to edit this out. Uh, I well, would like well, on the let's, next call. Let's just say bye, everybody, and we're cutting this now. Thank you for listening to the Canadian Story. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at the CAD Story. That's the CAD Story. If you enjoy this podcast, please share it with your friends and family. Let's work together to remind Canadians how great their country is.